Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. My guest today, Kumi Naidu, is Secretary General of Amnesty International. He's a longtime activist and civil society leader who joined the anti-apartheid movement as a teenager and for many years led Greenpeace. In September, ahead of the UN Climate Action Summit, Amnesty conferred its highest honor, the Ambassador of Conscience Award, to Greta Thunberg and her Fridays for the Future movement. So, in this conversation, I sought to draw out Kumi Naidu's perspective as a longtime activist on this burgeoning transnational youth climate movement, and that is the focus of much of our conversation in this episode. We met in Amnesty's offices across the street from the United Nations, where days earlier, hundreds of young people gathered for a Youth Climate Action Summit. From a UN perspective, this was a pretty interesting and unique occurrence, and the Secretary General Antonio Guterres was very transparent that he sought this kind of youth engagement as a means to pressure government to take action on climate change. So I kick off our conversation by asking Kumi Naidu what impact he's seen from this youth movement around the UN and beyond so far. At times, this conversation gets heavy, and I just want to thank Kumi Naidu for both taking the time to speak with me during a very busy UNGA week, and more importantly, for being so open and honest with me. I am confident you will appreciate this episode. As always, please do reach out to me if you have suggestions of people you'd like me to interview or topics you'd like me to cover, or if anything else is on your mind, you can do so using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com or just hitting me up on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg. And if you are new to the podcast, welcome. Visit the homepage to peruse our robust archive of conversations with people making a difference around the world. And now here is my conversation with Amnesty International Secretary General Kumi Naidu. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. There is no question in my mind that the activism that we've seen from high school students in the Fridays for the Future movement and associated movements initiated by Greta Thunberg has changed the entire context of climate activism. It has brought a sense of urgency a sense of moral appeal in ways that even more traditional NGOs and so on have not been able to actually do. Um, I think that the what has been achieved in one year 
is quite extraordinary without bureaucracy, without, you know, massive resourcing and so on, with an idea, a hashtag, and a passion. These young kids have, have sh uh, are actually behaving like adults, and our adult, too many of our political and business leaders are behaving like spoiled brats, you know, um, with the incumbent at the White House, the best example of that. Uh, and so I think that if we have to look practically at some of the things they've achieved, is that, one, they have got certain national governments to declare climate emergency, like in the UK, where the Fridays for the Future, when Greta was there, had meetings with all political parties, and within two days of that visit, Parliament was able to agree on one thing in a long time <laughs> in the UK Parliament. Uh, and several countries have been moved to get close to declaring a climate emergency as a result of the appeal that they've brought. Secondly, the visibility of young people in the entire climate summit, in the own youth summit, but also in the Monday events. And I think the power of all the young people is pretty amazing. Greta's own appeal was probably what people will remember. I was in the private sector forum with the Secretary General on Monday lunchtime, um, where I spoke, uh, and, you know, everybody was re referring to the impact that the children have had. Last night mm -hmm. I spoke with the New York Times thing, the Ambassador Alba, who's from Mexico, the special envoy yeah. for the summit, you know, everybody starts with, with how amazing the young people have been in pushing us. Mm -hmm. But I think we have to hear the young people's response to that. They said, please don't tell us we're inspiring you. It's pathetic that you're telling us that we're inspiring you. And, and I think even that message has changed the terms of the conversation. And the other thing that's very important and strategic of what they said in the Friday strikes is consistently they were saying we are only just getting started mm -hmm. right and so i am hopeful that we are reaching a tipping point in terms of global public opinion now admittedly the movement is not as strong in every part of the world the countries where there's very limited democratic space for and very limited freedom of mm -hmm. association and assembly and so on so there will be some work to get there uh, but it's also you know it's the countries that do have that space for civil society like ours right now that and many countries in Europe that are you know, the, the, the worst of bidders anyway. Yeah. So, so in that yeah. case, it's, it's quite powerful. And, and this is the thing that impresses me about the movement. There are a couple of things that stand out. Right? Mm -hmm. One is most student protests historically starts at universities and then sometimes get into high schools. <laughs> this one here, it started at high schools, university students are still to catch up with yeah. the level of activism that's coming from young yeah. people. The second thing is almost every country where I've had the honor and privilege of meeting these young leaders, they are disproportionately young girls. In some of the national leaderships, it's like 75% uh, girls and 25% boys. I think that's also very important in the sense of um, they are having a very strong sense of this is much more than just climate. And the third thing is they have a very strong messaging around global equity. Mm -hmm. I mean, Greta's main thing 
in her speech was people are dying now. Yeah. She said, you know, I'm one of the privileged ones. Yeah. People are dying now. People are suffering now. And, and it's not fair what's happening. And there's a deep sense of mm-hmm. fairness in the language that they're using, which we don't yeah. see with I our mean, political leaders. So what's interesting to me is that, you know, I've seen those kind of equity and those real moral arguments being spoken at the UN before. Typically, they're by small island states that have that same kind of existential threat that, that, that climate poses to them, that Greta and other the young people are on these climate marches are, are appealing to that moral argument. But the difference, and I wonder if, if you agree or not, and something that I think is kind of really remarkable and interesting to me about this transnational movement is that unlike the small island states, you know, or I should say like the small island states, they make that powerful moral argument. Unlike the small island states, this movement seems to have uh, a far greater degree of political potential and political power. Um, I guess, how do you see this movement evolving in terms of increasing their ability to, to, you know, force leaders to make decisions and wielding that power? The hope that one has is that uh, they will continue to broaden their numbers of people participating. So they have these weekly Friday strikes and the leadership and a smaller number of people participate in that. And then they have what are called deep strikes, which is certain days of global mobilization, like what we had on Friday. And Friday was the third one. Mm-hmm. And the last one had 1.8 million, and they, they aimed to double on this Friday, and they went more than double, about 4.5 million. And, and, and so I think they, have, they appear to have a plan of how they're going to continue mm-hmm. to broaden the base both in countries where they have a presence, how they go deeper, but also in countries where they still don't uh, have a presence. Um, so, so I think just in terms of reach, you're going to see one thing. The second thing is, it remains to be seen about whether, in addition to activism and putting pressure on governments through demands in terms of the changes that they need to be made, I'm not sure, and it remains to be seen whether they will also say, "Okay, if IPCC said we need to plant one trillion trees as part of the solution, we as young people are going to get involved in that, and we challenge our religious leaders, our trade union leaders, and so on." Because I do think there is something about that particular uh, goal which is doable uh, if there's political will. But it also offers a possibility to broaden the movement as a whole mm. because, you know, not everybody is going to go occupy a oil rig or yeah. protest outside a fossil fuel facility. We need pathways of participation that allows people who have never taken part in any activism before to enter through a more gentle way, if you want, mm. and a massive tree planting program which allows the around which you can have awareness and so on. It's aligned to the science. And interestingly, you know, the most important slogan of the Fridays for Future movement now is like, unite behind the science. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and I think that if ever I saw a time when people actually are saying, actually, we have to listen to the scientists, I think we'll hold some of that to the kids' mm-hmm. efforts again. And and I, I the sense I have 
is that, you know, some people have asked me, some journalists have asked me in the last 48 hours, do you think that the moment that it's running is about to run out of momentum? Yeah. Um, because, you know, the trends in our organizations yeah. form and fall. And I actually feel quite strongly, maybe it's more on hope, uh, but I, I actually feel strongly that they're getting started and that I think they have nowhere near the peak of what influence they're going to have. In your history, you know, as an activist and, you know, as a student of activism as well, are there any historic models that you see this, this sort of replicating or this drawing from? So what we've had in the past is for very distinctive national level struggles like apartheid South Africa or more recently in Chile where, you know, seven years ago there was major protests around education reform uh, mm -hmm. and so on where young people are participating in, um, you know, um, strikes and activism and so on. Uh, but I've not seen it anything as transnational as what we are seeing. They are usually national level um, interventions uh, or campaigns. And I think that the nature of how this movement has evolved is unique in the sense that um, the scale of it, and even though it's seemingly on one issue, the issue right, is a unifying issue. And importantly, I don't think this would have been possible 10 years ago. Uh, because it is powered by the use of new technologies, the social media environment, and, and so on. Because, you know, even Fridays for the Future is a Twitter hashtag, right? Mm -hmm. And that's how it basically started. And, uh, I, well, certainly we've never seen anything on the scale and before. Um, and I think the unique elements in it um, are some of what I mentioned already, but uh, nothing comes close to equating this. But but also, I would say the three distinctive things are technology, mm -hmm. the fact that climate change is an issue of human survival, so it's like... And thirdly, the people driving it mm -hmm. are the ones that are going to pay the biggest price for the failure of adult business and political leadership that we're not seeing today. And they are very clear that they will be the ones to pick up the pieces if, in fact, they are around to pick up the pieces. So what role do you see for an institution, you know, like Amnesty or perhaps other, you know, large kind of legacy human rights groups or, you know, NGOs to have in, in participating in or supporting or somehow, you know, being a part of this movement? What, well, like, what do you see the role of Amnesty here? At one level, I think we need to keep, we need to be supportive, but keep some distance, allow the young people the space to lead. Oh, no, 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 I shouldn't say allow, because they're not looking yeah. for permission <laughs> for anything. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just respect their desire for autonomy and so on. Secondly, look at ways in which we can support them when they are being attacked by certain politicians, certain business people, and so on. So, for example, 
we should be looking at how we stand up and defend them when they are attacked by uh, on on social media, for example. I mean, yesterday there was a vicious attack on Greta and the movement on Fox News, for example. And I think that's where mm-hmm. we, as adult leaders of the human rights movement and civil society more generally, should be stepping up to support, not to take away the voice of people speaking for themselves, which they are very good at doing, but because it's a decentralized movement and so on, sometimes at a national level it might be easier for if people are being threatened, Mm -hmm. if they participate in it, for us to provide some defense. What what does that defense look like? Like How does that manifest itself? Sometimes it might be just issuing a statement saying, like for example, what I did... I don't know whether you saw this, before the strike, I wrote to hundreds of thousands of school teachers around the world explaining why the kids were doing it and saying, please respect the rights of the kids, understand that this is something that is probably as educative as as one day at school uh, and that uh, no repercussions should be placed on the young people who participate, right? Then the other thing Amnesty did was we gave the movement the highest honor we have, which is the Ambassador of Conscience Award. Yeah. And, 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 and the movement has also forced us to change already. How? Yeah. I'll give you an example. Yeah. When we did this Ambassador of Conscience Award before, we had an event in one place. People flew in from around the world. And, you know, last time around we did it was Colin Kaepernick uh, in uh, Amsterdam. It was held and so on. But this one was done completely different. It was decentralized, low carbon, and the award was given on Monday last week to Greta and the U.S. movement here in Washington, D.C. with 1,500 people and in 20 countries around the world, wherever the movement exists. And we had an amnesty office. It was given to the leaders in that movement as well. And Greta, by the way, was very clear. She was only going to accept this award if it was for the movement and not primarily for her. And that was our in- inclination as well. So, so I'm just saying yeah. that the nature of the event, the Greta effect, is yeah, uh, you know, is alive and well. Yeah. You know? Amnesty. And, and and she was very clear that uh, the only reason this would be helpful is if it if it. And in all her messaging, she said this award is for every single young person who's participated mm-hmm. in any of the activities up to now. So I, I, I think they're going to challenge. I mean, even, even you know, the fact that Greta, you know, really made a big issue of how she traveled to get here, right? I think that was a contributory factor for Amnesty just last month in uh, our global AGM, where an in-principle decision was taken for us to look at how do we drastically reduce our own carbon footprint. Hmm. Right? Because people are being inspired by some of the messaging that's coming out. And I hope that NGO leadership will do significantly better than government and political leadership in listening to the wisdom that is coming out of young people. Because I have to say that uh, it would appear, after many years of being an activist myself, starting at the age of 15 as a, as, as a youth act, a young person in the anti-apartheid struggle, <coughs> I must believe, I must concede 
that my generation of leaders have got us into this mess where we are now. We are also quite contaminated by old ways of doing things. And we must have the humility now to recognize that young people bring something very unique to the climate struggle, but also to the overall struggle for justice and ensuring human rights in the world is the freshness of the lenses, mm -hmm. right? Because they're looking at all problems with, from a new perspective. And I think that young people seem to have a better capability to imagine a different world. Like one of the young people said to me, isn't it crazy that there are more people in the world who can imagine the end of the world than can imagine the end of capitalism? I mean, it's very, I mean, think about it, it's quite interesting, right? Because actually that's true what they say, mm -hmm. that more people will accept that the world's going to end yeah. than would accept that actually we might need to end the we need to fundamentally transform the current economic system to mm -hmm. give us a chance to survive. Yeah. Right? But it also tells you about how powerful those that control our economic system are. And, and, or like and religion, young, you know, they have like yeah, religious yeah, obligation, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and young people yeah. don't seem to, while res they seem to be very respectful, I have to say, of, of, like, I mean, you know, they could be saying to people like me, ah, Kumi, you guys, you're useless. You've been fighting so long. What have you achieved? Mm -hmm. But they're taking an approach. We know you'll fail. You'll struggle, but you'll fail. But now we're here. We'll help you all out. And, and we'd like to get you all to work better and work closer together. And that's another message, by the way. Yeah. The, uh, uh, Greta is very strong in it. We want all the people involved in climate struggle must work more unitedly and so on. And so in all of those things, they are shifting the the modus operandi of civil society resi resistance to injustice generally and to the challenge of climate change specifically. Um, last, lastly, are there any indicators or trends uh, that you'll be looking towards in the coming weeks or, or months that suggests to you whether or not the movement does continue to build momentum? You know, like you, I, I don't see this movement going anywhere anytime soon. Um, but what events or trends or inflection points might come down the road in, in the coming weeks or, or months that will suggest to you the broader trajectory of, of this movement? So Greta herself is in the U.S. now. She's going to work her way through Central America and get to uh, Chile. Africa. She's going to go to the COP25. She's going to the COP, yeah. Mm -hmm. And she's, 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 she's not going to school the whole year, right? So she's doing that. And then she's going to make contact with various communities and young people along the way. Uh, so COP will be a very important moment. And I think if the, the, the objective will be to significantly present a much larger movement by the time we get to COP is what I see. But I think in between now and then they're going to make sure whatever comes out of this summit is actually followed through in terms of the nice commitments that were made in the General Assembly all to see whether, you know, governments actually follow it through. Um, I think you'll also uh, see new lines of 
uh, struggle or new avenues of struggle, such as the announcement of the um, formal complaint brought in terms of the Children's Rights Convention. Uh, that's a significant development. I mean, they were, you know, they were very um, bold in the way they thought the thing through. Obviously, they had support from lawyers that this, they consulted with, people at UNICEF and so on. Uh, it's too bad that the U.S. as a non-signatory, the U.S. Uh, as a non-signatory of the convention uh, are not one of the plaintiffs as the largest emitter historically in the world uh, and that some other countries who are not, have not signed the relevant protocol because to be subject to this legal procedure, it requires certain formalities mm -hmm. to be in place. But importantly, there are a lot of other uh, litigation possibilities that are happening at the national level, like here in the U.S. and so on. And I suspect we're going to see a rise in the amount of cases where young people mm. are actually the plaintiffs. And, you know, what I say to young people on this question, it's not so important that they win the cases. It's, it's great if they can win whichever case they bring. But even if they know they're going to lose, but they can get a jurisdiction that will take the case and they have a chance to be in court, to tell the story, to appeal to adult leadership, to act with urgency, I think even in cases where the law has not yet developed to actually deliver accountability on the question of climate, it still would have a net positive effect in terms of awareness raising, building confidence and so on. And I think the three messaging which has been very powerful for me, right? One is they say, as young kids, we are told about by our parents that we mustn't play with fire, mustn't go to the kitchen and put our hands on a hot stove and so on. And now our whole world is on fire and our parents are letting the political and business leaders who are driving this get away with it. I think that message is simple and powerful. The second message is uh, when... Uh, people have criticized them about you destroying your future by not going to school, by striking. And they said, well, what's the point of us studying hard and so on when we might not have a future at all at the rate that you all are going as adult leaders? And the third uh, unique messaging, again, which is very powerful, and, and this comes more in the attack mode, when, you know, when they're being attacked, saying, well, you know, we go to school to learn about science and we are told that science is absolute. And so how do we deal with the reality that the President of the United States, for example, is completely denying the science and we told go to school and, and we are following the science and that's why they made Unite Behind the Science. And I don't know whether you saw the testimony they gave in Congress mm -hmm. where they arrived and said, I've not, yeah. we've not come with prepared Here's the, the IPCC report. You yeah. should listen to the scientists, not yeah. us. We are just kids. Here's the report. And so I think they've done some really special things. I, I, You know, the world is hopeful, I think, that they will transform activism, um, energize more courage on the part of uh, adult leaders. The fact that they are open to civil disobedience is probably also a very important thing because civil society has gone a little bit formalized civil society has got a bit too much into lobbying and advocacy and you know thinking that 
that's on its own and important as those that is, civil disobedience is probably what is going to be the missing ingredient on a mass scale that will actually force political and business leaders to change and change fast. Well, thank you. It's, it's really interesting to get, um, you know, your, as a seasoned activist, civil society leaders take on this burgeoning movement. It's, it's like an interesting perspective. And thank you. Thanks. May I say one last thing? Please. Yeah. I have as much time as you no, like. No, no, no. <laughs> just on the way you, you summarize. The yeah. Thing. So I just want to be clear. Yeah. Young people in the Fridays for the Future movement didn't ask any existing organization yeah. or even their parents in a very official way for permission to stand up for the futures. Mm -hmm. We need to respect that to start with, all of us. We also need to recognize what a failure of leadership on our parts in our generation we've done. I mean, for me, on Friday, to see a young girl carrying a sign saying, sorry, mom, I don't think you'll ever be a grandma, right? To have young girls in some of the countries where I've encountered the movement ask me, almost like as a matter of fact, so Kumi, it's probably not a responsible thing about having kids, right? right? We have put our kids through the most horrendous set of questions which they just never should have put, been put in, in, in that situation. And so when we look at the movement, we need to keep our distance away from it at one level, mm -hmm. in the sense that given how great we have done, mm -hmm. <laughs> I say that I say that with sarcasm. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure that we have that much to teach young people in terms of how to, how to, because also, you know, there's this whole thing about people of my generation being digital immigrants and mm -hmm. people of Greta's generation being digital natives. They are able to much more quickly figure out mm -hmm. how to use tools that are available to them in, in strategic ways and so on. So, so let's be very clear. Neither me, nor Amnesty, nor any other civil society organization can take any credit anything that the kids have, have done we are just mm -hmm. supporters of the movement from a distance and 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 i think we need to continue to do that we need mm -hmm. to trust the, the the instincts and the wisdom and i think our main role as adult civil society leaders or mm -hmm. is to make sure that the right to do what they are doing is defended and is protected and the safety but i should conclude i want to conclude with this yeah. point because, you know, someone who, who, who got expelled from school when I was 15 and all, mm -hmm. from protesting and apartheid, when people ask me, like, you know, oh, you know, do you have any anger? And so on, I say, no, I don't have any anger, but I do have regret mm -hmm. about having lost my childhood. And when I was giving the award to Beta and the U.S. movement in, in Washington, D.C., I concluded by saying, if I was a dictator and I could pass a decree to the Fridays for the Future movement and these young people, there's two things I would say. One is, please don't let the Trumps and the Bolsonaros of the world take away your right to a childhood. And secondly, while you're prosecuting the struggle and standing up, 
make sure that you don't give up on education, but understand that what you are doing is probably an act of education in itself. Because if I look at my experience, I learned so much from activism. And then I also said, please make sure you have as much fun along the way as possible. Because that is the tragedy of this. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, as, as, as a father and as, you know, a parent, you know, I, 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 it leaves me feeling very ashamed. Well, can I ask, is, is, is the reason that you, that you teared up when we were speaking because you feel sort of a burden that you sort of failed in, yeah. in a way? That, that was the sense I, I, yeah, I got. It's, it's not so much about personal failure. No. no. It's, it's, it's a fact that our children should be out having fun, learning new things, developing friendships, and so on. To have them focused on being like some of the kids who are like all they're thinking about and worrying about and so on. We are stripping them of a childhood. We have not given them a choice. Right? Any smart, intelligent child who has read the science or been told by the school, by the in, at school what's happening, they are going to do something about it because it's a question of as some of the kids put it, the people who are not acting now who are making decisions now, they seem to have an attitude as well, ah, we'll all be gone when the shit is a fan, so screw it. Mm -hmm. You know, and that is um, irresponsible, it's shameful, it's... And, 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 and I think it's important, the last thing I want to say is, mm -hmm. no, no, I, 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 no, no, the reason I got emotional is because you know, this is not about saving the planet. The planet actually does not need saving. If you continue on this path, the end result is we deplete our water resources as we're doing, deplete our soil, can't produce food, it gets hotter. The end result is humanity will be gone from this planet, the planet will still be here. And actually, should be said, if human, human beings became extinct, the forests will recover, the oceans will replenish, and so on. So don't worry about the planet. Mm -hmm. The struggle to avert catastrophic climate change is nothing more, nothing less than protecting our children and their children's future. And in all our cultures of the world, in all the great religions of our world, children are precious assets. That's what we taught. About what does it say about the current adult population of the planet that we're willing to sell our children down the tubes for the benefit of a very handful of people who choose to live ultra-consumptive lifestyles, and the 1% lifestyle, as we say, uh, I want to believe that humanity is much better than we are at the moment, and I hope that the children can help bring it out in us. Yeah. Well, well, thank you so much, Kumi. Thank you. It was, it's great. I, I always love speaking with you. Thank you. I always love hearing from you. Thank you so much thank for you. your time. Thanks. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Kumi Naidu. I've heard him speak several times, so I knew this was going to be an interesting conversation. I didn't realize it would get sort of so so heavy and emotional. And so thank you, Kumi, for just being open and, and honest. 
And for those of you who want to take the extra step to support the show, please become a premium subscriber. You can do so by going to patreon.com slash global dispatches or just following the links on globaldispatchespodcast.com or wherever you're listening to this episode. By becoming a premium subscriber, you can unlock a host of bonus episodes and conversations and other rewards for supporting the show. So thank you. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you.